up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Blog Talk Radio. of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Castillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Hope you are in better spirits than I am, Dan. I am busy having a mild heart attack while watching the Rangers. Uh, I'm not. I'm watching the Mets comfortably beat the Orioles, so no, no heart attacks here. Must be a fun, a fun change for you after after it's been a pretty rough decade for the Mets. Yeah, it's been a pretty rough uh, couple of weeks since the 11 game winning streak, but they seem to be getting back on track, which is nice. Too true. I know. Uh, now I officially grabbed tickets to the, uh, the Mets Giants game when I'm in town in June. So I'm. Looking forward to seeing some Mets baseball then, as well as next Monday night when I might have ended up hitting the Harvey Lottery. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I highly recommend it if you can. I've been to two Harvey games so far this year, and I think like three or four total, and he, he very rarely disappoints. As I figured. I know uh, it's tougher and tougher to catch Kershaw games out here, but... Uh, a couple of years ago, I hit that lottery like four or five times. Last year, I saw Granky like five times. Um, I know right now, I think it looked like a couple of days ago, in my uh, my Cubs Mets tickets in Chicago, we're on track to be Harvey. But we shall see if that uh, if that holds up. Yeah, it's tricky with the Mets because every every couple of weeks they'll throw a sixth starter in just to, to give everyone a little bit of rest. So it's it's not quite as like elementary as uh, some other teams, but generally if you, I mean, if you wait long enough, you can pretty much uh, know what you're getting into, but obviously you're buying tickets for games that are farther away, so it's a little trickier. Indeed. Um, so I guess you can start off a little across. Um, so I'm moving to maybe some football-type things. Uh, the Maris one, I think despite the fact that, that this is a playing game between two teams we we should have been capable of beating and, and should be capable of beating, um, I think the ghosts of Bryant's past have uh, definitely infiltrated the Syracuse fan base a little bit. I mean, uh, it's not the same team as last year, but definitely had, um, you know, some of the same elements. Um, obviously, it's not a style of play that I think we really wanted to have to go up against again. So I, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I'm very glad that the Red Foxes got themselves uh, into that game against us instead of Bryant. Yeah. Um, obviously, SU would have been a heavy favorite in Bryant, and big upsets can only happen so often. Um, but uh, foolishly or not, I feel better about the Maris game just because I, I feel like from what I've heard about them and read about them. I haven't seen them play, but uh, they're, they're probably more likely to play a pretty straight up game of lacrosse where I think Syracuse is always going to be favored where Bryant obviously had a very distinct style that gave SU trouble a couple times. So I'll ride with the, uh, the the team that we don't know as much about and, and just assume that Syracuse will have the horses to get it done. Truth. All right, so I guess uh, I guess that kind of like leads us into 
just the overall bracket discussion. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, upsets are few and far between in lacrosse, but they've obviously been happening more and more uh, of late. Um, and now that the game has expanded, it seems that it's it's moved far beyond the original upper crust of programs. Um, so what's one upset? Uh, and that could be any unseated team um, that, that you see definitely playing out in this first round, uh, just uh, on gut feeling alone. Uh, let me pull up the bracket real quick. Um, sure. Yeah, I've been trying to get this open. My internet's being slow. Uh, all right, here we go. Great radio. I hope everyone's uh, enjoying this as much as I am. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, it, it's tough to call this one a huge upset. I think. Uh, Hopkins over Virginia is definitely a possibility. This Virginia team seems pretty weak um, compared to the, what we're used to from them. Uh, and Hopkins haven't been, haven't been great, but they seem to, uh, you know, they've won some pretty big games this year. You just did in the tournament, and they're always a name. So uh, that one picked out, although that's, you know, that wouldn't be too big of a surprise. Uh, same with, like, Albert, Albany Cornell, like, that's the eight nine or the eight unseated, but you know Albany is about would probably be the next team in um, if it wasn't due to uh, geographical uh, considerations anyway. So that's a pretty obvious one. And then um, I don't know really what to make of Maryland. Uh, they seem to have fluttered a bit down the stretch, uh, and Yale feels like a team that's kind of been wait- on the on the cusp of breaking through in one of these NCAA games. So those aren't the biggest, like, I, I didn't go and pick a cold hit over UNC or anything, but um, those are the three that kind of stick out to me, although they're not the most controversial ones by far. Yeah, I think you, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth there. Uh, those are the three teams that I definitely ID'd. Um, I, I considered Brown for a, for a short, short second. Um, I, I think I think Ohio State, Eight, um, maybe in a couple of years has the horses. I just don't see them having the horses against Duke right now. Um, Brown, I think the Ivy was really, really strong this year, but I just don't think they're able to beat that Denver team, who, to be perfectly honest, might be the best Denver team uh, we've seen. Um, and I know we discussed this last year on the podcast. You know, when, when is the year that Denver finally stops knocking on the door and just breaks it down? Um, I think if there's any team that could, this could be the year. I know that they faced a lot of the teams in the bracket already. Um, I believe they faced Duke already. I know they faced Notre Dame already. Um, so, so this is a bracket of familiar opponents for them. Uh, they faced Brown too. Uh, and I think Denver could provide a really interesting case uh, to finally, you know, grab that elusive, um, kind of Western championship if you don't want to count Notre Dame, which I wouldn't at this point. Uh, I, I think Yale, um, if we're going to go a couple of rounds, Yale looks like the type of team that, that could take advantage of a sputtering Maryland team and, and one that could really challenge North Carolina. Um, but I, I think the heels are strong enough to get in. Uh, I think Hopkins uh, can definitely beat Virginia. I think Hopkins found was able to catch fire at the right time, and I just hope that that doesn't hurt us in round uh, in round two. Well, we'll see. But uh, yeah, Hopkins seems like they're they're dangerous. They could beat Virginia. I don't think Virginia in recent years has really played up to the talent level in that program. Uh, it's kind of surprising um, how I wouldn't say far Virginia's fallen, but how much Virginia has failed to live up to expectations. Um, they're still one of the you know ten best programs in the country, but I, I, again, I, I think they have recruited like um, a top ten team. Just transitioning from that, Dan, do you see any of these upsets being able to to pull off a surprise Final Four berth? I know there there are very few of those um, in the history of, of lacrosse, but do you see any surprises, or, or does this seem like while there might be some intrigue in the first round, this could be a uh, a straight chalk Final Four? Um, I mean, it's tough with the draw uh, because as, as much um, 
as the sport has grown, even since I've been watching, which isn't all that long in the grand scheme of things, generally the best teams are going to win out, and it's tough for these teams to make bid runs um, for more than a week, a game or two, just because the sport is so heavy at the top. I mean, with Albany, their attack is so crazy that I mean, I I could couldn't you know I could see them knocking up Cornell and then and putting some fear into Notre Dame, although I wouldn't bet on it. Um, they're the one just because they're kind of a wild card because their offense is so good, but the rest of the team lags behind enough where a team like a Notre Dame or, or a Duke should be able to, you know, beat them just because they're better all around uh, rosters. But um, no, I, I think we'll probably end up seeing some combination of the ACC teams and, and the, uh, you know, the guys that we expect at the top. I, I don't think you'll see any real surprise teams unless you're someone who considers Denver a surprise team at this point, which I don't really. Right. And, and you know, uh, I think you're right on Albany. Albany can score with the best of them, but, you know, can they defend? And we saw against us, no, they couldn't. Um, and I think Notre Dame, uh, you know, with, with similar levels of elite athletes, I just think Albany is a, is, is a very, very good um Lacrosse really have mid majors, so I'm not going to say mid major, but but a non power school. I think that they've they carved out a great niche for themselves um, in recent years. Uh, I think Albany, like I said, definitely has the, the ability to beat Cornell, um, but I, I just don't know if they can hang with the type of athletes that Notre Dame is going to throw on the field um, in that second round matchup. Uh, so yeah, I, I think we're looking at chalk. Um, and I do see a Syracuse championship because I, I do think that we were the rightful number one seed to begin with. Um, but you know what? I think at this point, the, those top four are so strong that you could you could talk me into any one of them, Denver included. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a fun tournament. I mean, hopefully not too fun. I, I don't want to see uh, I don't want to see anything wacky happen at SU in particular, um, especially after last year's heartbreaking first round. Uh, defeat, but I, I think that Chalk seems likely, and 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 that might favor Syracuse. Um, as weird as that could seem. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same thing. I, I just think at some point Syracuse has to break through again, and this team just it it offensively it looks a lot like the teams we've had the last couple of years that have been really high powered. The one missing piece has been the faceoff and. Ben Williams has been pretty fantastic all season, aside from one or two uh, rough games. He just seems like he uh, he gives SC what it's been missing the last couple of years. And obviously the stats show that, you know, face-offs only mean so much. But I I, I do think that just that Duke game in terms of uh, the swing of momentum just came from the, the Duke National Championship game. Um, it came from the face-offs, and, and maybe Syracuse could have overcome that anyway had they just not gone completely radio silent on the offensive end. But I, no matter what the uh, the analytics show, I'd still rather be winning those more often than not. And Williams will at least get us to a, you know, more than more likely than not, a 50-50 shot, uh, even against the best guys in the country. So it, it just seems like this Syracuse team has the fewest holes since the, the last time we won a title. Um, and, and they're just due. They, SU shouldn't go this long without uh, winning a lacrosse national title considering how good the teams have been consistently. So I'm excited to get it going. I'm um, hoping to make it up to Philly if Syracuse is there, um, and I believe I will. So uh, always good to get into lacrosse in the spring. It's a, it's a nice thing to have as a, as a third sport, which, you know, so a lot of schools are just totally checked out of their athletics at this point. But uh, Syracuse always has something extra, which is fun. Right, and I mean, honestly, you think about what spring sports would be for Syracuse if, if they were more heavily involved in baseball, which, to be honest, seems like a, few, a futile endeavor for the most part. Um, really glad that we have lacrosse, a sport that we're traditionally good at. I'm not as good, but great at. Um, and as much as I hate the term, you know, do when it comes to sports, um, I, I think that it is apt here uh, for the Orange. I mean, like I was talking about with Virginia earlier, looking at a team that's perennially a top 10 most talented squad. Um, Syracuse is one of the five most talented teams in the country pretty much year in and year out. Um, and, and, and to be, to go this long without a title um, is 
certainly frustrating um, for fans, both young and old. Um, and we all remember how that Duke game ended a few years ago. Um, it, so yeah, it, it's been it's been transition, and there's going to be more transition, I think, for for fans of of a lot of the Blue Blood programs. I think we're we're one of the last ones to really accept that fate. So I'm hoping that this year kind of you know writes the ship for us. Otherwise, um, if, if another title goes to you know Duke and Notre Dame or Denver, um, you know maybe this is finally um, our kind of coming to terms. I guess with with the new reality, but if we win, I, I think it, it keeps us atop the mountain, and, and I think firmly establishes Syracuse as the the program to beat in in the new order, just as as much as we were in the old one. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive, and I don't. I, I personally embrace the the new, you know, what's happened in lacrosse the last five years, if only because I'd rather be at the top of a of a big sport than at the top of a small sport, even if being at the top means something different. So, you know, if Syracuse is only winning a national title every, uh, you know, five years or something, the lacrosse goes into this big prominent thing that more people pay attention to, I'm cool with that. It just seems like Syracuse, no matter what the size of the sport is, has been so close uh, two or three times since since that uh, that 09 title that it just seems like the team, the team that's this good consistently has to break through eventually, whether it's, you know, football, basketball, Whatever, but um, I'm not I'm not one of those people who just hopes that lacrosse ends up shrinking back to what it was, where there are four teams that can win any any given year. Uh, I just don't think I just think the Syracuse team is good enough to overcome a deeper field, and I think Syracuse as a program will remain relevant, even if uh, that's a lot different than what it was in the 80s and 90s, which I know some people aren't huge fans of. Agreed. Um... It's closing out our lacrosse conversation. Uh, obviously, there's not much going on on the realignment front, which is always fun um, in terms of revenue sports. But uh, lacrosse is kind of you know a frontier that we can continue to speculate on and continue to to bounce around. You know what happens if X program joins? What happens if Y program joins? Um, who are you, who are your one or two programs that that are kind of hanging out in the in the weeds, do you think that that there were still a few years away from a couple couple more football power schools um, joining? Do you think that um, you know we're a, we're a Louisville or a Clemson away from uh, from the ACC really blowing up in the men's sport? Um, I think Louisville is the one that always gets brought up because their athletic department is so uh, solvent and they could probably afford to do it. Um, and it'd be cool. I, I think that in order for any of them to add, I think a couple of them have to because no one wants to be the team that joins in as the sixth ACC member and just gets destroyed every time they play in conference. Um, so hopefully what happens is like Louisville, BC, and and Florida State or something all, all jump in um, at the same time, and then at least there's like a little bit of a a group to grow with rather than Louisville joining and just getting crushed five times a year and never having a chance to do anything in the postseason. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of the ACC, I think in general is pretty ripe for it. Um, I mean, Notre Dame's a pretty young program in terms of their, their national relevance. Duke is just kind of joining the, the powerhouse uh, club at the top over the last couple of years, even though it seems like they've been, you know, they, they seem like a school that would be uh, more of a traditional lacrosse power, but they're really not. So I think the ACC's footprint is kind of lends itself to lacrosse very well. You know, I think Wake or NC State could jump back or jump in. I know NC State had a team, but I don't think it'd be a huge stretch for either of them to jump in or Florida State or Clemson. So um, I do hope that it expands a little bit. I hope it expands nationally and, and it, we have more than just the uh, what we have now, although it's definitely – I think the the sport in terms of just programs is probably almost doubled since I've been watching. So it's kind of exciting to see a team like uh, Ohio State or a team like, um, you know, High Point, which I think just started the program a couple of years ago, like actually competing at this level. Pretty cool. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think that I think the only thing that gives me pause in terms of, you know, a couple football schools finally jumping in is that um, – it just seems like there's so many 
you know, non-traditional schools, like, I mean, schools like High Point, schools like Richmond, um, I mean, the Atlantic Sun sponsoring uh, lacrosse is, is surprising, but, um, you know, those schools are taking advantage of, of something that that has really just been sitting out there for years, and, and, and as more programs jump in over there, um, I, I think it's going to force the hand of, of some more football-focused uh, Southern you know, universities to really think about, you know, why are we, why are we letting smaller, less notable schools, you know, jump in on, on, on what's a growing sport nationally and, and a lot of great athletes and a lot of local talent. Um, it just seems like a perfect, um, you know, match for them to say, Hey, let's get out of the forefront. And like you said, Louisville seems like a, a perfect uh, example of, of a program that financially is ready to do it and, and could potentially, um, while we'll face struggles in ACC, could potentially compete um, in, in a very short amount of time if they're willing to become, you know, kind of the South's major university to sponsor lacrosse. And yes, I'm aware that I'm both calling Kentucky the South and eliminating <laughs> several other universities that are more Southern than they are um, in the process. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like the South definitely is waiting. I, I know um, lacrosse is supposedly getting pretty big in, in, like, Tennessee and Florida. And, and out in Texas, obviously, we have Brandon Mullins on the team who was, as, as we all know and kind of annoyed by, he was, like, the top uh, linebacker in the state of Texas and uh, didn't want anything to do with Syracuse football while he was at, in, or while he is in school. Um, and then I, I have friends from Colorado and, obviously, Denver shown it but that it's, it's getting huge up there so it's not spreading in just like one area either it's it's, it's kind of growing it seems like everywhere it's not a, a hotbed already it's all kind of growing at a, a similar rate throughout so i think we'll see a very interesting um group of schools that uh continue to have the sport i don't think it's going to be like one area i think it's going to be pretty national which is cool i would agree um, I guess before we jump into a little halftime action, um, how about the women's bracket? Why don't we, uh, we talk about the potential Orange Eagle matchup that, uh, that could be awaiting both teams, the uh, obviously Boston College women and, uh, and Syracuse could be awaiting them in the second round where uh, suddenly the, the, the Orange Eagle trophy that we thought that we had pretty much in hand could, could shift on a dime um, without us even realizing it. Yeah. I'm not actually, I was, I was thinking about it today. So is it, is it the normal head to head scoring for Syracuse and BC meet in the, uh, it looks like it'll be the elite eight. If I'm looking at this right. Yeah. So we, yeah, we're up, we're up 11 right now. If Boston college beats us and wins a championship, uh, and the Syracuse men's lacrosse team fails to win a championship, um, BC would take the trophy. So, all right, so the, the women, the BC women have to win the whole thing. So it's right. It's still kind of crazy that they're right there uh, on the in the same region. Um, I, I'd like to think that the. NCAA selection committee did this on purpose, knowing about our internet uh, our internet rivalry that is yet to be embraced by either athletic department. Um, I know that's probably not the case, but it's it's uh, it's pretty wild these two programs just cannot escape each other. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if I can watch, if only because a I'm going to be on vacation, but b. Um, Based on, you know, we talked about this on the site a little bit, the rules of, the, of this sport need to change very quickly um, because I, I don't think I can sit through another, um, you know, bout of, of stall ball for, for an entire, um, you know, last 10 to 15 minutes of a game. Um, but I, I think this is going to test some patience. I think that, that these two teams are maybe not even because of, of – the BC Syracuse rivalry and other sports, I think just in general, I think these, these, uh, these two groups of girls really, uh, they're, they're familiar. They, uh, they, you know, kind of dealt with some heartbreak against one another. I think there's a, there's definitely going to be some, some 
heated play, um, you know, come May 10th, if the two, well, not May 10th, whatever the date is, uh, if the two of them end up facing one another um, in that, uh, what would be quarterfinal matchup? Yeah, it's, it's been a problem for years. I just don't get how, I mean, maybe it's just that there's not, there's just very little attention uh, paid to the sport outside of like Syracuse, Northwestern, Maryland, and a couple other schools. But I mean, how many times is Syracuse going to go to a final and get stalled to death? And I'm, I'm fairly proud of, uh, you know, you can, you can talk about Derry Gay and his paycheck and everything. Uh, I'm kind of proud that Syracuse doesn't seem to subscribe to that notion of we have to stall because it's allowed and that's how we're going to win. Like, the games of Syracuse is one. Obviously, they're going to milk the clock, but they tend to do it, like, by still playing the game more like a, you know, a basketball team would run out the clock, whereas that Northwestern or those Northwestern championships in Syracuse or the Maryland one, I think, last year. Like, it's – I don't know how you could sit there and watch your team play and feel good about how you're doing it. And I understand that the rules haven't changed, and I don't understand why they haven't changed. But it's such a it's such an it's, it's insulting, I think, to like the players in the field and everyone watching to think that this is like actually sport. And it's I, I understand if you don't want to make it just like the men's game, that's fine. But there's no recourse for a team to force a turnover aside from fouling. So Syracuse, and this has happened years upon years now in big games will get two or three girls down and just watch the other team run the clock out for, for minutes at a time. It's insane. And I don't know why it hasn't been – I mean, I don't know what the actual discussions have been at the highest levels, but it doesn't seem like there's any traction towards making this, you know, fixing that. It's just it's, – it's incredible. No, I, I, I think that that's dead on. Like, it's just one of these things where no one's calling for it, in part because it's maybe not a revenue sport or it's not a big-name sport. But to me, I think anyone who's involved in it sees the issues. Like, we, those of us who watched the SUBC game the last time around, um, and to me, that was, you know, I, I can't spend a ton of time on it, um, unfortunately, because a lot of those games are not televised or they come on while I'm still at work. But... Um, you know, it, it, it is, it is tough to understand how people that, that really do closely watch it, um, can sit back and, and, and tolerate that type of, you know, just completely watering down of a sport that really has a lot of potential for growth. And you see it at the youth level, but they're not doing that. And they're not playing that type of lacrosse, um, at, at the, at the youth women's level and, and at the high school level. But then in college, you're seeing just a complete, you know, fundamental change in the sport. Uh, that, that's that's really disappointing, and I hope that, uh, you know, I mean, for, for men's lacrosse, it took like a brutal 6-5 championship game um, to finally get a shot clock going, uh, and I think you might see if, if another, you know, title game happens like that uh, for the women this year, you might finally see a, a sea change of opinion. Yeah, and at least in the men's game, even before the shot clock, you could check the ball, you, you could force a turnover uh, in women's, you don't have any any recourse. Like if if a player wants to stand with the ball and they have even like average stick fills where you're not going to be able to just run up to them and poke it out, like they're going to sit on the ball as long as they want. And it's it's just it's so frustrating. And I I agree with you on on the the lower levels of the game. I worked at a high school for two uh, lacrosse seasons and I watched plenty of of girls lacrosse at that level. And I never once saw a team sit on lead for seven minutes. Um, so hopefully, at the hopefully they figure something out because it's 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 absurd. I'm glad our team doesn't seem to have any interest in doing that. Um, and hopefully uh, they'll break through this year and and we don't have to deal with it. But it's uh, it's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate thing that. And I'm sure I'm sure if the girls had a choice, they wouldn't want to play that way so hopefully someone no absolutely it just it's it's like you're it's like insulting to watch and i i can only feel like i i just wonder how those players feel on both ends like 
sure, it's cool to win a national championship, but having to do it after sitting on the ball for eight minutes, like that, you can't feel good about that. No, not at all. And, and you know what I think the reason Syracuse doesn't buy in, if I had to guess, is because Gates the coach and because that's not, you know, how he ever did things and because of the type of player he was uh, himself. I, I think that that's why you don't see uh, that type of buy-in. But um, that's just, you know, me guessing at this point. Hopefully, again, we, we see a change. Um, it would be great if Syracuse winning could potentially spur on that change. But um, who knows? I think we have fingers crossed for that matchup. Um, for both you know, women's lacrosse at stake as well as obviously uh, an Orange Eagle trophy that I would like to have housed here in Southern California. Yeah, uh, I will say though, if um, if Syracuse is up one in a national championship uh, women's lacrosse game and wants to sit we'll be doing... for like 20 minutes and just let the Go clock run out, I fully support that. As like former protest, I, I would be behind the team 100%. <laughs> Agreed, agreed. <laughs> All right. Guess that takes us to uh to halftime. Uh a little bit that is. Um Dan, what have you been drinking for the uh the last week or so? Uh I am just pulling it up now. I had the uh Ballast Point uh grapefruit IPA that you sent over, the grapefruit stulpin, which I've had before, but it's it's really good. Um and I it seems to be gaining a lot of traction on the various beer websites and other things that I've read. So I don't know if it's just having a moment or if people are just discovering it, but uh, really solid uh, IPA, um, a lot of flavor and not just, uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty accessible one for people who don't generally like IPAs, but uh, do enjoy a good flavorful beer. That might be a good one for them to try and to try to ease themselves into it. Um I haven't, uh, that, that was pretty much it. I, I didn't have a chance to try too much, uh, other interesting stuff. You know, when we talked about the last couple of weeks, uh, it was, I've been kind of fighting off a cold, so I haven't had much to drink the last couple of days. But, uh, hopefully, uh, the next couple of weekends we'll get back into it. Fair enough. Um, for me, had some different things. Uh, the brewery had their, uh, had a kind of sour, uh, Ale aged in Scotch barrels, the uh, Suroboro. It was uh, very good. I was actually surprised how much I liked that one. Um, brewery obviously puts together some pretty nice sours, and uh, that definitely goes up there. Um, went up to Golden Road Brewing, um, which I've mentioned here on the podcast a few times. I'm up in Atwater Village area of, uh, of L.A. Had the uh, Wolf Pub Session IPA. Um, I mentioned the uh, Wolf Among Weed double IPA on here a few times. This is kind of a, a derivative of that. Um, it does a very good job of, uh, of doing so without um, packing the same uh, punch that the uh, the parent beer does. Um, also got to try the uh, Darts Away IPA um, up there. That's a, about 10% double IPA. Uh, another enjoyable one. Um, had Mother Earth, um, not the North Carolina one that uh, that some listeners might be familiar with, but the Mother Earth in San Diego, the uh, Buku IPA, uh, it's available in a lot of places around here. Um, and then also drank uh, a bunch of Lagunitas sucks uh, because uh, they put it in six packs year-round now and uh, happened to be on the shelf at Whole Foods when I walked in right after the Derby. So not an uber eventful. Exactly. It wasn't an uber eventful weekend of drinking, but it was um, definitely full of, of enough beers. And I'll uh, I'll have quite the list to go. Um, we won't have a show next week because I'll be on vacation, but the week after, um, I'll, be, I'll be listing plenty, I'm sure, um, considering all the uh, places I plan to go. Very nice. All right, so we close that with some NFL draft talk. Um, I think anyone who even casually follows the football team seemed pretty convinced that uh, that Sean Hickey and Darrell Eskridge were getting drafted. I mean, they two of them certainly were convinced of it, um, and I'm, I don't blame them for for being convinced at all. Um, so, Dan, describe your feelings when when it set in that uh, that Hickey and Eskridge were not 
being collected at all. Um, was it surprise? Was it a little bit of, of annoyance? Like, how, how do you view uh, this? Do you view it as a slight or do you view it as just, you know, part of the deal and now the two of them are probably going to work their asses off to make sure that they make rosters? Um, I mean, I wouldn't call it a slight. I don't think teams like out of their went out of their way to not draft these guys. It's just, it's very surprising based on all the things we've read and heard. And you know, ex teams have been high on them. I know Hickey said that the Eagles told him they were pretty much set to take him fourth, and and then took someone else. Um, and just having seen them play, I mean, Eskridge, I know it's a lot more of a potential than um, on the field stuff. But he's he was a good player when he was healthy. It wasn't like he was bad. He was just uh, often dinged up, and then Hickey was great. I mean, we talk about a lot. I mean, Hickey played a number of the best pass rushers, a number of the guys that went really high uh, this weekend, including Vic Beasley, and he played Beasley pretty much to a standstill in that Clemson team. So I know he didn't have, like, perfect measurables, uh, but his on-the-field play was good enough, and it wasn't like he had anything that – was glaring except for a pretty long injury history, but it hadn't really crept up in the last two years or so. So I, I was surprised um, at both of them, but mostly that Hickey didn't go somewhere because you can always use linemen. But I think um, I, I have a good feeling that he'll he'll wind up latching on somewhere because even if you don't get drafted, I mean, talent's going to win out in the end of the day. So hopefully both of them – have a chance to uh, to hang on this season and uh, make impact down the road. Obviously, we've seen the the whole stat about how 35% of the league is undrafted players. So it, uh, it, it it's surprising that they're into drafted, but it shouldn't be surprising if they end up making the rest of it. Certainly. And, you know, I think that's a great stat that people have been bringing up more and more because, you know, it, it shows that the draft can be a crapshoot. People can pick based on need. Or whether you know their their board, quote unquote, says that that's the best guy available. And at the end of the day, this is all conjecture and projection, um, and and it's based on what you think you have, not what you actually do. Um, and then, as we see in every sport, you know, one injury gives one guy a shot. Suddenly, that guy turns into an All Pro. Um, and that goes for you know again any sport anywhere, but NFL in particular. Uh, with so many players on these rosters, um, there's a there's a very you know quick and easy way for a player to go from an unknown to a, to a starter. Um, Hickey in particular really uh, really does stand a very good chance to make a roster. Um, like you, I was I was surprised to see him passed up, especially when like he said himself, there were uh, there were other guys who weren't as good as him taken off the board. Um, I think some people are concerned with the size. I noticed the footwork comments later on in the draft cycle, um, pre-draft, that I was a little confused by. Um, I didn't think his footwork was was noticeably off um, during my time watching him and the team. Um, but, again, I'm not an NFL scout, I guess. Uh, but I, I think that, and I mentioned this in the article today, um, and for those listening yesterday um, on the site, that uh, that Hickey going to uh, to New Orleans, a team that desperately needs a better line um, could be a, a blessing in disguise for him um, not being drafted. So I, I think that that's definitely somewhere uh, to watch in terms of, of Hickey. Um, he'll end up somewhere. He's definitely an NFL caliber player, but the Saints do seem like a likely, uh, likely. I think Eskridge is the one who, while he is talented and I think he has the potential to be uh, a solid NFL player, I think that the Jets might not be the right fit. Um, just based on their own team needs. Um, one surprising uh, player that could probably catch on right away, and, and again, I mentioned this in the article, uh, Brandon Reddish, uh, somebody who really came on strong, um, you know, at the at the back end of his career um, season. Um, and because of team need with the Raiders, he could actually, uh, you know, contribute right away in Oakland. Um, and, and I'm definitely... And they're looking forward to uh, to seeing what he can do over there, especially for for a team that definitely, you know, lacks on the uh, the talent front and, and in particular the talent development front. Yeah, I think Reddish. I mean, he's really fallen under the radar, mostly because his first, you know, he was a big, pretty big recruit, and then he was fine his first couple of years, but didn't really make a huge impact. And then last year. 
he was a part of a, a pretty bad secondary, but he was not part of the, the – I mean, he wasn't part of the problem. He was great. Uh, hopefully hopefully, all these guys latch on. I do agree that Reddish, I think, you know, you always need cornerbacks, and, and he has enough speed and talent where you think that he could make an impact. Um, I think the other guy who wouldn't shock me if he ends up finding a role or finding a niche is uh, Cam Lynch. Obviously, I don't think he has the size to be – uh, an every down outside linebacker in the NFL, but I think he's a good enough athlete and uh, enough of a hustle player where I wouldn't be surprised if he became a, a really solid special teams guy for a while and and maybe a pass rush specialist uh, or even coming out out of like a like a an Oki type package um, playing you know probably would definitely be like a safety position but coming after the quarterback. So I think he's a versatile enough player where I wouldn't be surprised if uh, even if not the Rams. Someone found a use for him. Yeah, I think that's a good call there. I mean, you know what? Lynch really did come on in his, uh, in his final season. And, and to think that despite what's perceived as a slight bit of undersized on his part, the guy can rush the passer. And, and you can't find, you know, you can't just manufacture talent like that. Um, and, and what Lynch displayed, especially when he was, you know, many times the main focus of, of every blocking scheme, and he was still able to get after, pass he was able to get after, running back in the backfield. The, the guy knows how to get penetration um, against an opposing offense. And I don't, again, I don't think you can, you can just teach that. And I don't think you can just walk into that skill. Um, but I bet he ends up somewhere, even if it's not the Rams. Same goes with Davis. Uh, maybe not to the same extent of Lynch, but uh, while the Redskins might be full up at linebacker, they uh, doing well with them could really help him out um, long term um, and, and help him catch on. I also think about half these guys um, could catch on and could could catch on elsewhere. Um, the only ones that I'm slightly doubting, uh, no offense to them at all. Um, I think Darius Kelly, uh, Prince Tyson Gully, um, probably going to face a much tougher road um, to signing contracts. Um, than the rest of these guys, um, and, and that's really you know it's based on fit. It's just based on you know how they might you know gel with the pro systems. Uh, like I said, Prince Tyson only really has only a few teams that he can kind of slot in with, and even in there, it's a specialist role. Um, and, and the one team that would fit him perfectly, the Eagles, um, Chip Kelly's spread, they don't have any openings at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see it with with him. Um, one people have, have kind of brought up a little bit in terms of like surprise uh, would be maybe Jared West, and only because he had like one of those things where he had a really good senior season that isn't reflecting uh, reflecting the stats, just because um, obviously the the quarterback situation was so atrocious last year. But he really came on last season, I thought, made some unbelievable catches. And uh, I think the Jets picked him up, right? They did, yes. Yeah, so I, it wouldn't shock me if he, you know, carved out a, a practice squad role. But obviously he has something to prove, too. So good luck to all of those guys who I'm sure are all listening. <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, I think West in particular is a, an interesting case. Uh, I think – I mean, we haven't really like sat down and you know dove into this theory, but I think um, in terms of quarterback deficiencies in the last decade, you know, NASA decide, I think West is is probably you know more handicapped um, than than just about any talent we've had on the um, on the team. Um, you know, and people probably quick to bring up market sales, uh, which fair point. But uh, you know what, West was was too young. And, and there were too much talent in front of him when uh, when NASA was on campus. Uh, I think Weston's senior year, like you said, the stats might not have shown it, but uh, despite really having no um, no ability to, to get the ball to him downfield, he was still able to make plays. I mean, there were times where he definitely made Hunt's uh, downfield throwing abilities look better, um, especially in 2013. Um, you know, there's a couple of those passes that I know – they were running similar uh, similar wheel routes for him for a little while. Um, he was he was kind of walking the tightrope on those sidelines. Um, he was pulling down some great catches. I know that that one of the Wake Forest games stood out to me. 
But, uh, but yeah, I think West, if West gets put in a situation with a veteran quarterback who can put the ball um, in, in catchable space, I, I think West could find himself, um, you know, a, a fun niche uh, long-term in the NFL. Yeah, I think the pressure with him will be speed. Like, I, he's he's not, like, a burner, and he's also not, like, huge. Like, he's not going to be – he's not a six-foot-six possession receiver, so he'll have to kind of carve out a, a niche as a guy who just won't drop passes, which I know hasn't always been the case with him. But uh, he's a smart player. He's a good blocker. So, hopefully he can find it. Uh, the Jets will be an interesting one because their quarterback situation is, is obviously up in the air, um, although they did that at Bryce Petty, which I thought was a – a nice low risk move, um, even if he doesn't pan out in the NFL. Uh, but I, I'm actually, that's not a bad spot to be in right now. I think they've done a lot of nice things. Totally. Uh, I mean, do you think, you know, jumping in a little bit to to the draft, who do you think had, and we're, we're going to view this rather than from an NFL standpoint, which can be just such a soulless endeavor. Um, <laughs> Viewing this from a college standpoint, um, who do you think uh, had had one of the best drafts? Um, obviously, a lot of teams, um, a lot of teams did okay. Um, I think there were very few, like just unequivocally bad drafts. But but wh- who was one team that stood out to you as someone who who maximized um, the potential of some college talent and could could find themselves with a really strong young team? Um, come next year and, and some of the years into the future? Um, well, I think the Jets were definitely one. I was a fan of a lot of what they did. I'm pulling up, trying to pull up the uh, list of drafts here now. Um, unfortunately, I think the for – I'm a Packer fan, if people don't know that. Uh, unfortunately, I think the uh, Minnesota Vikings have been building pretty well uh, for the last couple of years. Obviously, Bridgewater really started to emerge at the end of last season – um, I think he's going to be great. I thought he was the best quarterback in last year's draft, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be proven correct about that. Um, and let's see here. Uh, and today, this year, they took Trey Waynes, which is a really nice pick. Uh, Stephon Diggs, they took in the fifth round, who, if he stays healthy, I mean, this this draft was so receiver heavy. Um, it doesn't totally shock me that he fell that far, but I think he's better than your average fifth round pick uh, wide receiver if he you know, if he's okay. Um, and sitting in that, in that division, I think the, uh, the Lions also have a chance to be pretty good. Um, Amir Abdullah in the second round, uh, obviously he wasn't one of the big two running backs everyone thought would be taken in the first, but uh, he's, he's a really good player, and, and that team has a, a pretty impressive uh, passing attack. So if, if he gets open running lanes, I think he could be an NFL player. Um I'm just kind of looking through these drafts now to remind myself. Uh, it, it's always funny as a college fan to see some of the guys who end up going late. Like, uh, I think the, the Steelers took Sammy Coates in, like, the third or fourth round. It's the second year they've done that. So they took Martavis Bryant last year in, like, the third or fourth round. And, oh, who, who who's shocked that uh, Martavis Bryant turned into a, a fantastic uh, red zone receiving threat? Um, but, you know, these teams – I always appreciate it when a team takes a player who was really productive in college and then didn't blow up in the process and then turns out he's actually a really good football player like we all thought. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it, it it's silly, and we say this every year as college fans, um, while, while there's something to be said for translation to the NFL game sometimes, you know what, like those of us who watch these players week in and week out and watch them develop from, you know, 17, 18-year-olds to – you know, 22-year-olds who were really, you know, forces of nature on the field against a lot of other pro, pro prospects, you know, sometimes you just know talent. Um, and, and it doesn't need to be um, – doesn't need to project necessarily to whatever pro system you want it to. It just needs to – at some point, like, you just have to look at a guy and go, this guy knows how to play football. And, and the system teaches – the t- system will teach itself at, at some point – He'll find his niche. You just need to give him a shot. Um, and obviously, it doesn't apply to everyone for every Mike Capers Bryant or, you know, a guy like Sammy Watkins. Um, there's somebody like Johnny Manziel who, you know, to be determined. Um, obviously, there's also the caveats about, you know, pro system versus 
um, you know, more college-centric spread systems that a lot of opposing defenses don't have the speed to match up with. Um, so again, it's just, it, it is fun to see, um, especially from a college standpoint, just like how these things um, kind of bounce around and how these conversations uh, shift. I don't think we ever really come to a definitive uh, conclusion either um, on, you know, whether or not college success really breeds pro success, but um, nine times out of 10, I'm willing to roll the dice on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are some guys who have just deficient uh, deficiencies that will kind of ruin their chance at NFL success. Uh, I mean, the easiest example is Tim Tebow. But more often than not, I think if a, if a guy, you know, just has this one little thing that's wrong, whether it's like he's a, an inch too short or, you know, doesn't quite do this one thing quite well enough, like – I think overall, if they've been a successful player in the past, like odds are they're going to figure it out going forward. So um, I always like to see teams take a take a bet on a player who has, you know, been good at football rather than been good in like a couple predetermined events at the combine or super scripted interviews that their agents are like hammering them down on. So I, I always am a fan of those late-round picks where they take guys who we've seen play really good football week in and week out for three or four years. Absolutely. Um, and I guess on that, you know, I uh, I think we're good. I, I think this is going to be a fun, you know, kind of two weeks between now and the next show. I think a lot of lacrosse happening. Um, obviously, Syracuse keeps uh, – He's getting heavily involved in the recruiting game in both football and basketball. Um, so it'll probably give us a hell of a lot more to talk about um, next time. And again, hopefully we, uh, hopefully we see, uh, you know, both lacrosse teams still playing uh, the next time we, uh, we chat Dan. Yeah. I have a, a feeling that we will. Fingers crossed. Um, so for Dan, I'm John. Uh, you've been listening to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Uh, been a fun almost hour with you, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Go Orange! Go Orange! At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.